G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. An issue that affects every single one of us. Right now, lots of Australians are facing facing those challenges uh, financially. Things are deepening. A pause on interest rates this week doesn't mean that no one is hurting. Well, today a focus on significant things happening in the economic world. A new report from Roy Morgan Wealth indicates the increase in wealth in Australia is pretty much all in house prices, which have grown as much as 43% in the past few years, and that more than 95% of the wealth is held by the top 50% of the country, mostly baby boomers. The bottom 50% only hold something like 4.6% of the nation's wealth. So is there some Christian wisdom around financial inequality, older generations and younger ones? And there might be opportunity to explore today what this means for ordinary Australians and their great Australian dream of home ownership, uh, like is it better to rent or to buy right now? You might have your own thoughts and concerns around these things. And very shortly, we'll invite you to be a part of that conversation with Alex Cook, Alex is a former stockbroker. He's been a successful financial planner and he is the founder of Wealth With Purpose. His ministry is to help equip Christians to honour God with their finances by teaching sound financial skills. Alex Cook, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you again. Alex, it is an important conversation because while we might talk to those who are experiencing wealth, those who are falling behind the game and those who might even mm. consider themselves to be at the poorer end of the spectrum. Uh, this is a conversation, I guess, that would concern all of us because we want some wisdom from God in all of this as well. Uh, what's happening in the economic world that might give us some insights today as we get our conversation underway? Yeah, well, look, as you alluded to in your introduction, Roy Morgan have just come out with their annual wealth report and it's... It's fascinating in its sense. It gives you sort of a bit of an in-depth look at the population and how different segments of the population are doing. And so as a nation, our overall wealth is increasing. I think it's about 7% over the last three years. Although I would argue to some degree, the wealth is a little bit erroneous in as much as it's all in house prices. And uh, really, you've got to ask the question, how does that really help us as a nation? Uh, because at the end of the day, a house is a place to live. It's only really a benefit to you if you're trying to sell or if you're an investor. But for the most part, house price appreciation doesn't have a, a huge value add to society. Uh, but the other thing is that the debt is increasing at a far greater rate, which of course um, is not great longer term. But I think what was really interesting from the report though was that 95.4% of the wealth is held by the top 50% of the country and the bottom 
only hold 4.6%. Now, to some degree, obviously, you'd expect some of that in the sense from a generational point of view, you would expect older Australians in general to be wealthier and younger Australians to generally be, uh, you know, less affluent. Um, but what sort of came out of it is that there is quite, there's almost the country split in two and the bottom half are only holding 4% of the wealth. So I think that is quite concerning if that were to continue for a, a long period. And that's certainly been the trend for a while. But what was interesting in also in this report is that the bottom 10%, so even though the overall wealth of the country grew, the bottom 10% actually found their wealth was in decline at quite a rapid uh, pace and they were going into more and more debt. Um, so I think the the challenge with that, obviously there's Christian issues around it, but the challenge with it is the potential to, to lead to social problems in our society as people feel that, you know, it's really hard to get ahead. And, of course, with a number of the current policy settings, immigration being an obvious one, it's hard to see a lot of relief for people in that struggling end. But on the other hand, there's a percentage of the population that are doing really well. <laughs> and if you look at the baby boomers in particular, if a baby boomer owns their own home, then they're really doing really well. I mean, if you own your own home, you're, you're 65, their, their wealth's increased dramatically over the last a couple of years. Uh, and I, I see it amongst talking to clients, those that own their own home and have got through that phase of life, uh, mostly thinking about their next hol holiday. Uh, whereas those in that sort of middle bracket, sort of 20 to 50, if you like, they've got their mortgage and all of a sudden their cost of living has uh, dramatically increased, not just energy, but obviously mortgages and rents. And that uh, that part of society is starting to get really squeezed. So you can see some of the generational issues here, but also the, I think the bigger concern is if we allow that bottom 50% to continue to grow, as in it ends up maybe 60% of the population end up with only 4% of the wealth, then we're going to have some social problems down the track. And I think that's... Uh, uh, something we should be concerned about uh, yes, as a country. Yes, that gap between rich and poor, uh, that's one of those things that creates all sorts of issues as a society deals with them. Hey, there's another thing which is a big dimension in all of this, and you might have a thought or two to offer, but uh, around the demographics of a society, uh, baby mm. boomers who are growing older, and as you say, there's 95% of that uh, house wealth in their hands, uh, there is this thought that boomers, you know, over the coming uh, maybe decade or two, falling off the cliff and a transfer of wealth mm. that has never been mm. seen before in history. So in one sense, you might say those who are growing older are holding the wealth, but uh, they will eventually pass that wealth into a, the hands of a younger generation. And that in itself is significant, isn't it? Oh, it is. Um, but in one sense, it comes down to... Uh, the luck of the draw, as in who, who, who your parents are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, in fact, a friend of mine uh, who's actually a very wealthy individual said to me uh, to buy a house in Sydney now, it, it comes down to who are your parents? Mm. And you know, this is a wealthy guy saying this. And I think to some extent that's, that's quite a concern in terms of the logic. You know, you, you don't want to have to inherit wealth in order to get ahead because then you end up like some countries overseas where literally wealth is is really it's very difficult to attain in some countries it's just handed on from one generation to another uh, and i think the concern obviously with rents and, and house prices as they are 
is you want to be, if you're a renter particularly, you want to be able to save some of your money so that you can ultimately buy. Because one of the things that did come out of that wealth report is that those in the top 1%, uh, they are virtually all homeowners, only 1% of the top 1% rent. So in other words, home ownership is a good thing uh, for all of us to ultimately achieve. But if we allow it that the bottom half to, to really struggle, then it will be hard for them to get onto that property ladder and to own, own a home, which provides good long-term you know, financial well-being. So, so that's a real challenge. given the context and the possibilities of the gap between rich and poor and the social unrest that can come in all of that, let's get into something a little substantial early in our conversation. And so with a growing inequality, both generationally and with the the way that wealth distribution is there, the top and the bottom, a big difference is there something that we can have as an early perspective here, a Christian perspective on inequality? How do you see that from through a, perhaps through a biblical lens? Look, it's a very important topic for Christians to grapple with because the media does talk about it a lot, and there is a growing uh, trend in Australia to becoming a more socialist society, which often comes out of this problem of inequality as in people as as people feel that they can't get ahead and they feel that things are more unequal uh, they start demanding socialism and the problem with that is it actually just makes the problem worse so as a christian we do really need to think through what it actually means so to me the question is what do you actually mean when we talk about inequality to me uh, the idea that you and i have different amounts of money in and of itself is irrelevant does it bother me that bill gates has a lot more money than me and the answer is no because at the end of the day uh, so long as we have the same opportunities in order to be able to get ahead uh, and make something of our lives and fulfill uh, our potential there's not really an issue the fact that people have different amounts to me, where inequality becomes a big problem, and this is what does concern me if we keep going down this path, is inequality can create barriers that hinder someone from reaching their full potential and also from experiencing a dignified life. And that, to me, is when the financial issues become a real, a real thing. So if people feel they're trapped in a particular you know, class, if you want to call it that, or if they feel trapped in a particular situation and they're unable to rise out of it, you know, they're unable to ever buy, they're unable, you know, they feel they're trapped. That's when I think there's a real problem. And as uh, Christians, you know, we're obviously called to be Christ-like and we want to care and show concern for people in society that do feel marginalised or oppressed or disadvantaged. And we want to help to break down those barriers. And of course, you know, Jesus himself, what did he say? He said, you know, love your neighbour as yourself. We want to treat others the way we'd want to be treated. And so when we're thinking about the bigger picture of inequality, we want to make sure uh, that our society is showing value and the worth of every individual and that we're pursuing policies that help uh, make that possible so that everyone gets to participate in society. It's not that we all have equal amounts, uh, but that we all feel that we have a sense where we can get ahead and prosper as a society. 
So um, it's a real challenge. More to come. We're going to take a very short break. I want to open our talk back lines. At 1-800-316-316. Maybe you're coming from uh, what you say could be the wealthier end. You might be coming from the less wealthy end. Uh, You might have all sorts of mixed feelings. It might even be an emotional thing for you as we're talking about a conversation like this. Looking for wisdom from God about how we deal with these sorts of things as society is changing around issues to do with wealth. And you might have questions for Alex on all sorts of different levels, some sort of scenario that you're going through right now and perhaps a little wisdom or insight as you're grappling with what to do and where to go. Well, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. 1-800-316-316. We're back with more in just a few moments. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Your opportunity to ask a question, make a comment. You might even have have a critique for the conversation you might have your own biblical wisdom to offer into a conversation like this or you might have a critique for where we're at so 1-800-316-316 we'll take some calls in just a few moments but Alex Cook uh, let's just come around uh, when we're talking about inequality and really this question over whether inequality is a good thing or a bad thing uh, give us a, a you know let's you know shoot straight from the hip here uh, without uh, beating around the bush um when we're a christian and we're thinking about inequality and we're concerned for those who are uh, less well off those who even are disadvantages is inequality always a bad thing so the answer to that is it's very simply not always you know um it often surprises christians i think to discover that even though we're of equal value, you know, God loves us all and, and we're of equal value in that respect, uh, when we actually get to heaven, for example, the Bible is, is crystal clear that each of us will be rewarded according to what we've done. In, in heaven, we won't actually be equal. You know, I call this your kind of divine incentive to focus on God's kingdom. You know, God's actually incentivizing us to, to live faithful and obedient lives and we'll be rewarded accordingly. So we won't actually be equal in heaven. And I think the same applies here on earth um, inequality financially in and of itself isn't always bad it can be just a reflection of people's efforts uh, their skill sets and a whole range of other things Um, as we were talking about earlier where inequality is a problem and i think this is a growing issue in the west because i think in the western world what we're witnessing if you like is a slow uh, shrinking of the middle class and that to me is a concern and that's when we're ultimately putting barriers in front of people, where it's harder to get ahead, uh, it's harder to um, to get yourself educated, harder to to do certain things. And that's where inequality is a problem. And from a Christian perspective, that's when it is bad. And uh, as Christians, we have lots of ways of which we can obviously help solve that in society. And you know, I think Christians have been remarkable over the centuries of making meaningful uh, impacts in their societies. And we can talk about that, uh, you know, in a moment. Okay, I'm just uh, looking to take a, a call and it uh, looks like I won't be able to take that one uh, just straight away. So uh, when we talk about a Christian response to inequality, Alex, where would we start yeah. with that? I mean, are there some things that we can glean as a, you know, a, a rule of thumb? This is where the Christian responds yeah. when it comes to the inequality issue. 
Absolutely. And look, there's some big picture things and I think there's some localised things. So the first thing I think is really advocacy. You know, if you read in Proverbs, so Proverbs chapter 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So as Christians, when we see inequality and we see people who are poor and who are in unjust situations, we need to be their advocates and we need to stand up and do something about it. So I think that's an obvious Christian response, but that in itself is more of a principle. But I'd like to point out to listeners, Christians have just done amazing things in our society over the last 100 years. Now, if you look in Australia particularly, Many hospitals are set up by Christians to help those who are sick. Many uh, schools and education institutions, universities are set up by Christians. We've had the, you know, the abolishment of slavery, you know, by William Wilberforce in the UK. So we've had all these uh, things that Christians have done in society to make it a much more fairer place for everyone to live. So there's a huge number of things uh, that we can do. And also, when you think about our giving, you know, we've just had the end of the financial year and a lot of people have been thinking about their giving, but we can give very strategically things that help lift people out of poverty, for example. So I love uh, the area of microfinance, which is basically where you're lending money, small amounts to poor people to help them start a business so they can lift themselves out of poverty. So we can do those kinds of initiatives that really uh, bless people and help to reduce the inequality problem because as I say it's not a problem so much of us all having different amounts I don't see that as a big drama to me the issue is where people don't have much therefore they can't get ahead and therefore the inequality in that sense is is quite unfair but at a local level I think this is a fabulous opportunity for churches you know if you're listening to this and you're part of your local church you know God has has blessed us with this thing called the body of Christ and what a wonderful gift it is to be able to solve problems locally in our own communities to extend care and support to those that are in need directly around us you know often we've allowed the government to do those things we kind of think oh it's Centrelink's job to help it's all these NDIS there's all these government things that can do it well actually that's not God's model at all God's model is that us as the believer steps in uh, and our local communities as local churches the body of Christ step in and, and fulfill these needs uh, so it's a fabulous opportunity for us as Christians I think to uh, to reduce this problem just a couple of minutes out from news let's take a call Alison is in Adelaide hi Alison welcome along Oh, hello. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, five years ago, my husband passed away and we were living in country South Australia. Um, we already had our um, home up for sale. Uh, we had been living in the Leukemia Foundation village for eight months. Um, yeah. Um, so um, when he suddenly passed away, I was left to um, find somewhere in Adelaide. Um, yeah. The first 11 months after he passed away, I lived for those 11 months in the lounge room of my daughter and son-in-law's home. Um, yeah, um, my question is, I, I then bought into a, a retirement village, um, but now I see, I don't know whether it was a wise move um, because I've inquired after being here um, four years this month. Um, I now am $140,000 less than what I 
paid when I came in here. So, um, yeah. Alison, uh, let's get an insight or two here from Alex around your scenario. Alex, uh, thoughts very quickly Mm. for Alison? So, Alison, I'm assuming with you from the retirement village, you're in one of those villages where if you were to leave, there's like a 30% it's kind of like an exit fee. So if you either leave or you pass away, the 140000 that you said that you would lost is basically what's kept. So usually you buy to get into those places. And then when you, you leave, either through passing or um, moving out, they, they keep 30% of it usually. Is that the scenario that we're talking about? Because that's a really well, from, important from consideration. Been, what I've been told is that it will gradually go down to nothing. Mm. So if I, it depends on how long I live. I'm 73 now, mm. so, and I'm quite fit and uh, well, and I chose to come in here because they had plenty of active things to do and, and, and for the security um, for myself living yeah. on my own, yeah. Yeah. And look, to be honest, those facilities uh, can be brilliant. The uh, the big consideration for listeners... When look, I have to, to break in to here, Alex, Alex uh, because we're about to yep. go to news. Now, I know this will be an important response that listeners will want to hear. So we're going to save this and we'll come back straight after the news. I'm going to ask Alison to be patient and wait through the news and we'll come back and we'll just, sure. uh, we'll just come back to this scenario after Vision National News. If you are just joining us... Joining into a fascinating and I think important conversation really around some issues of a gap between rich and poor. You know, a pause on interest rates this week doesn't mean that no one is hurting. And today a focus on some significant things that are happening in the economic world. A new report we've been reflecting on from Roy Morgan Wealth indicates the increase in wealth in Australia is pretty much all in house prices, which have grown as much as 43% in the past few years, and that more than 95% of the wealth is held by the top 50% of the country, mostly baby boomers. Well, the bottom 50% only hold 4.6% of the nation's wealth. So, is there Christian wisdom around financial inequality? older generations or younger generations and there might be opportunity to explore all sorts of things around home ownership the great australian dream and is it better to rent or buy right now well our special guest this hour is alex cook a former stockbroker he's been a successful financial planner he's the founder of wealth with purpose and his ministry is to help equip christians to honor god with their finances by teaching sound financial skills our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316, 1-800-316-316. Just before the news, we were talking to Alison. Alison is still with us. And uh, Alison, uh, thank you so much for being patient there. And the news doesn't wait for us, but we're back to our conversation. And, Ale- uh, and uh, Alison, I wonder whether you can just uh, reframe the question that you were asking Alex. Uh, yes, I. Um, after my husband passed away five years ago, um, our house was already up for sale with the view to moving to Adelaide. So um, I moved into when he passed away here in Adelaide. I I moved into a, a retirement village, and I'm now finding that uh, I, I moved in because uh, house prices were too high. I didn't have enough to do that. Uh, uh, so yeah. Um, so my question is. You know, um, 
should I be moving out because I've already lost $140,000? And I'm just wondering what I should do. It's an important question and uh, some insight that uh, listeners ought not to take as professional advice because we'd encourage you to Mm. speak to your own financial advisor. But certainly around issues like this, uh, some light uh, from Alex Cook. Alex, your thoughts for Alison? Yeah, well, look, it's a really interesting space, and this is the what I call the you know the aged care space. It's quite a, almost a complex area in and of itself because all these different types of accommodation, whether it's a retirement village or it's a high care facility, all have different rules and regulations attached to them. Uh, one, for example, is when you leave the facility that you can lose up to 30% of what you put into it. So if you paid half a million to get in, you'll lose 30% on the way out. And that's because they're trying to recoup a lot of the cost of providing those services whilst you're there. And of course, some of them charge like a daily rate, depending on the, the degree of care that they're providing, or some charge a monthly fee. And that can be you know, quite quite a, uh, an expensive uh, thing. So these facilities do vary quite greatly. Um, so the, the considerations I think people need to make here when they're looking at these kind of facilities is what's going to be the impact if I need to, to move out and what am I going to lose? Is this going to have an effect on my family, my estate, all that kind of thing? Uh, and, and what are the costs? Am I going to be afford to, to move to somewhere else if I wanted to, to leave? Uh, but in saying that, and also, of course, are you going to need to move to a higher care facility where you're going to need more care than what you're currently, because obviously as we get older, we become more frail and need more care. So um, as Neil, I think you pointed out earlier, to me it is quite a complex area and they're actual financial advisors that focus purely on aged care uh, because it's such a complex area. So the main thing I think to, to listeners here is that they reach out and talk to someone who's an expert in aged care facilities and the impact that it'll have because it has all sorts of social security impact as well. Just while we have Alison on the line, uh, I imagine that when you sign up to go into one of these facilities, it's wise to check the fine print as you're signing the contract. And uh, is there some light here for Alison as she's thinking, uh, what about my future? Is this the sort of thing where you might either get a lawyer or a financial advisor to check the fine print on the contract to just see where you'll be exactly? Absolutely. I think the key thing here is chat to an aged care expert. There's plenty of them out there. There's whole associations, you know, devoted to this particular area because obviously we're an ageing population. It's a growing it's a growing area and there are plenty of people that can give uh, good help. So there's aged care experts, as in who work in these industry associations, but there's also aged care financial advisors who will be able to point Alison in the right direction as well and give specific financial advice around her situation. Alison, I hope that's been helpful. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Alison in Adelaide, thank you for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. You might have a question, a comment, even a critique for the conversation is fine too. Let's take another call straight away. Andrea is in Albany in Western Australia. Hi, Andrea. Welcome. Hi. Um, good morning. Yeah, I've got a, um, a comment and a question later. Um, my comment is um, I... I came from the Philippines about 30-odd years ago, and I can just see what is going on in Australia that's been happening in the Philippines at least over 100 years when it comes to um, um, assets and that um, parents, um, well, the children are dependent on their um, parents for inheritance. And um, I think, we've, well, I can see that 
it's happening here in Australia now. So I suppose Australia is just trying to catch up with what's going on in um, in a country like the Philippines. And um, in my case, um, um, you, the, the only reason why really I purchased this house I'm in now is because of my mum's, um, um, you know, my inheritance from her when she passed away. Other than that, I would know. Um, my husband and I have um, separated and divorced now due to some drug problems. And um, I'm in my 50s and I find it so hard to um, find a job uh, that time because, um, you know, looking after the kids and all of a sudden I found myself in a, um, a without a husband. And uh, so it's so hard. And um, Andrea, the money- there's lots of good dimensions uh, that you're mm. raising here. Yeah. I wonder, though, if we were to focus on the issue around inheritance because there's mm. a biblical foundation here that it's an ideal and good thing to be able to leave an inheritance to your kids. Uh, in mm. fact, Alex, uh, right now, uh, as Andrea is saying, uh, a lot of younger people will be saying, I'm not going to get ahead unless I get an inheritance from my parents. Any thoughts here as, as Andrea is framing her scenario? Oh, absolutely. Look, firstly, Andrea makes a really interesting point about what's happened in the Philippines and the issue that people were dependent on getting their inheritance in order to get ahead themselves. And, and I think that's the challenge, what we're starting to see in the West. In the Western world, of, of course, of which Australia is well and truly part, it's historically been easy to get ahead you've been able to work work hard um you've been able to prosper you know 30 years ago you could do it on you know a one income household now many to get ahead now it almost takes you know a two income household and as what you know andrea said it's now the situation where people are waiting for the and it sounds terrible they're waiting for their parents to die to get their hands on money so they can actually buy into the housing market uh altogether and so that is a real uh, challenge. And I think that's becoming uh, the case because of the economic choices we've made in the past and the very high debt levels. So, you know, it's it's not just one thing that's caused this to happen, but it is the trend that Australia's on and we need to get off it. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a big, uh, you know, it's a big societal issue and it's because of, as I say, a lot of political and economic decisions that have been made over the last 30 years. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Before I let Andrea go, Andrea, you did say there was a second part to your uh, comment and question. What what else were you going to add? Yeah, uh, my question is: um, I'm in this house now, and I'm my daughter. I'm I'm thinking of perhaps I can sell the house and just um, buy a, an, an even cheaper house, and the leftover I can give it to her for her deposit for a house because she's got a family and they just can't seem to go ahead. Now, I don't know whether it's the best um, solution for her situation. Um, Any thoughts from you? Alex? Yeah, look, it's an interesting question. Um, Obviously, without knowing your exact situation, it's it's difficult to, to comment on the specifics. Uh, but conceptually, it's it's not a bad idea in the sense that if you can afford to sell yours, get enough capital out of it, uh, buy another place that's adequate for you to live in and meet your needs as you get older, because there's other considerations as well, like your income in retirement, that kind of thing as you get older. Um, 
and and then to give them some so they can get into the market. So that it's a it sounds certainly like a lovely thing to do. The I think the bigger question here is what is going to be the the impact on you in the terms of the the medium term. What's going to be the impact on your ability uh, to save and get ahead for retirement? Uh, I mean, if you own the house outright, there's no debt, then that's great. Um, but there's a yeah, there's a couple of things you'd need to work through before you did that. Uh, and of course, making sure that that deposit that you're going to help the kids with so they can buy in is going to actually help them. You're not going to get them into a situation where they're then entrapped in, in the in you know high level of debt and so forth. So there's lots of if you like different things to consider there but overall i love the idea that you're you know you're wanting to help your kids the other thing of course is you live together but that might be too impractical uh you know we're having three generations in the one house and grandkids running around and all those kind of things so there's all sorts of uh, challenges to work through there but certainly helping out future generations is an important thing and i think a strong uh, christian thing to do uh, Andrea, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation. A question that came through via telephone, a message was taken. Can you please explain, Alex, what you meant when you said that pursuing a socialist path to attain equality makes things worse? Uh, there's a lot of people think that somehow rather a forced a way of uh, distribution of wealth, and I'm imagining that's where that mm. question goes. But uh, a, a caller called Anderson was calling through with that question about a socialist path. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And look, this is an, uh, sort of an age-old discussion in any way, the whole socialist argument versus the, the free market. And, you know, there's all sorts of different uh, blends, if you like, of these different things. Uh, to me, the problem with socialism is essentially... It's forced redistribution, so it's taking from one party uh, and giving to another. It often, though, removes the incentive uh, for people to do uh, to do well. Like if you're if you are going to work hard, but it's all going to be taken off you in the form of taxation and, and redistribution, then the incentive to work hard disappears, and the incentive to take risk disappears. And we only have to look at countries around the world that are socialist and by the way there's no truly socialist truly communist etc there's all as i say just different degrees of extreme and likewise with the free market and capitalism no no country is truly free market and capitalist either um, but if you look at it socialist countries are always poorer and what happens is it leads to massive corruption and you end up with this uh people everyone's cheating and i you, you know you see this in south america particularly which is very socialist um you end up with these corrupt governments and everyone trying to make money somehow to get ahead uh and it, it leads to a very often dishonest system with a ruling elite while everyone else is struggling to get ahead we need to have a, a system whereby everyone can prosper and where everyone can work hard and uh get ahead and keep what they've earned and save and, and, and get ahead rather than t- taking it off them and giving it to others. It does, it, it's never worked historically. And as I say, it just removes all incentive uh, for people to work hard and prosper as a society. And it's never worked. Okay. Plenty more to talk about on that level. Uh, there's some calls coming through, though. Let's take another call. Missy is in Adelaide. Hi, Missy. Welcome. Hi. Um, good afternoon. Uh, rather good morning. I just have uh, one query. Now, if we take a loan uh, for about 250000 for a building loan, 
and uh, probably a 150,000, uh, 100,000 for a land loan um, and got a finance. So uh, I'm sure you must be aware that there is an enormous interest that we pay and there is very little principal amount that we pay. Now, do you advise that while we are on this loan, that we have a cash flow probably about make uh, savings of about 20,000 uh, per annum or probably um, maybe not the tune of uh, 15, 20, and then refinance the entire thing so that um, we'd be able to just know every year shift from one bank to another bank just refinancing. Would that be of any help, Anna? Uh, Missy, I'm not sure that Alex has caught everything in there. Alex, did you pick up the gist? Uh, the line is not fabulous, uh, but uh, any thought mm. here you can offer here for Missy? Uh, I, as I was trying to pick up the question, I think I got a bit of a gist towards the end, which was the idea of refinancing every year. So basically looking at your loan and and refinancing so that way you can try and get a better deal every year. Um, so the answer is you could certainly do that. And There's no uh, legal reason why you can't. Uh, there are costs associated with refinancing. Uh, so when you switch from one bank to another, you basically pay a discharge fee of the old loan. You usually pay an application fee on the new loan. And then there's a few government duties like stamp duty on the mortgage, et cetera. So generally to switch from one bank to another, costs about $1,000 to do as a general rule. Now, what's interesting at the moment is many banks have what we call cashback offers, where when you switch from one bank to the other, they'll actually give you three or $4,000 cashback. Um, and therefore, it's actually well and truly worth refinancing because not only may you get a better deal in terms of the package and the lower rate, but you'll also get the, the cost of refinance is essentially covered through the cash back. Now, there's usually terms and conditions associated with those kinds of deals, but they're very popular. They've certainly been extremely popular over the last 12 months. Some banks are starting to wind back them now, so they won't be around necessarily forever. Um, but look, I think it's always wise to look around and, and get the best deal you possibly can. Um, what I would encourage listeners here is to actually get a really good mortgage broker Um, that's very honest and is willing to find good deals for you and suss out the good loans that are appropriate for your particular situation because uh, refinancing can be uh, very worthwhile, particularly at the moment when we're seeing rates go up so quickly. Um, it's definitely worth surfing around, getting a good deal and getting someone to help you through that process. The only thing just to remember, mortgage brokers do get paid commission and if you uh, change loans in under two years, they'll get that clawed back. So you want to think ethically that, you know, if someone's doing it, something for you, you want to make sure that they're not going to, all their hard efforts going to come to nothing. So I'd say refinancing every two years is uh, pretty sensible. Missy, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316, taking calls and talking about uh, wealth and in some sense uh, the rich and the poor, the growing gap, all sorts of issues around that. Larry is in uh, is uh, in the Northern Territory, just near Darwin. Hi, Larry. Welcome. Hello. Larry, what are your I thoughts? I just wanted to make a comment. Yep. We are specifically to Christians. We don't belong to this world. Our home is in heaven, and we are fugitives here. We are... Um, here for the short journey 
Larry, the thought of being uh, aliens in a strange land just passing through. Uh, what, what else were you going to add? Um, God has sent us out to spread the good news. Okay. He's given me a nice land and a nice full drive. So we're going to tour around Australia to spread the good news. But we don't belong in this world. All right, so here's uh, Larry's thought here as Christian believers, uh, aliens in a strange land don't belong in this world, in the world but not of the world, and uh, going on a tour around and spreading good news. Uh, and I imagine what Larry's saying here, I'm not sure you picked up everything, it's not as clear a call, but, um, you know, don't worry yourself with those sort of earthly wealth issues. Uh, I imagine that's what Larry's saying. Well, I, I would add a, another dimension to it. Look, I, I feel for him because I actually sort of feel a bit like a fugitive these days with the way the legislation's going through our parliaments. I think, oh, man, the, ch- the country's changing at such a breakneck speed. So I, I have quite, uh, <laughs> I can quite understand how he feels. But the, the comment I'd make if we were to add a financial dimension to it is that the idea that Christians should hold money loosely because we are passing through and we need to use the money that God has given us as a tool to accomplish good things for his kingdom. So to me, hold money loosely is the principle I think we need to think about when we consider the fact that we don't really belong to this world. As he says, we're, we're passing through and our home is in heaven. And, uh, you know, between now and then, we want to hold money loosely and accomplish good things with it. Larry, thank you so much for your call. And we'll put a call, a, a line under calls now where we don't have any time to take some more. Uh, If we were trying to sum up what we've been talking about, we started talking about uh, wealth uh, being in an older generation, a younger generation not holding wealth. Uh, We started talking about the difference, um, the movement of a society towards socialism, which actually might have a disincentive, um, you know, all sorts of things around those types of issues. Uh, Thoughts here as we're summing things up, Alex, you know, biblical wisdom applied to what's happening today, uh, challenges around the, the housing market, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, look, the way, message I want to leave listeners here is to, when we look at our society and the directions it's heading, I think most people would nod their head in agreement that it's not going in, in the right direction when we consider the, the kind of nation that Australia has been historically. But in, in saying that, it's a fabulous opportunity, you know, as our society goes through these changes and is getting the direct outcome of a society that it's abandoned God, you know, we've turned our back on God and we're thumbing our nose at him with a whole range of different laws that are coming in. And the opportunity for Christians is to step in and say, actually, you know what, this is what will work. This is how you make a, a prosperous society where everyone gets to flourish. We should be standing in the gap and we should be promoting and advocating for things that will help people to get ahead, uh, will help those that are in need. And so we have an awesome opportunity to witness to a country that's now starting to really hurt um, and to do good and to speak into it. And so it's an opportunity, I think, for Christians at an individual level, Christians that are in in, uh, various positions of responsibility, whether you're in a school or whether you're in politics or whether you're in business, there's an opportunity for us to show a better path uh, forward for our country. And uh, I, I see it all as an opportunity. You know, it's easy to get caught in the gloom of it when, in fact, we could actually flip that around and say, you know what? That's what the Bible says is going to happen anyway. So let's get in and, and look at how we can um, 
put Christian ways of doing things into our society and help help turn it around. So it's not a time to uh, be all doom and gloom, uh, but you might be looking at your uh, bottom line in your bank account and uh, all the debts that might be mounting, and you might have all sorts of challenges ahead. Uh, my thoughts are too, uh, we need to be reliant on God and expectant of his provision uh, in times uh, when things are tough. And uh, that's a whole big dimension too uh, that we won't get another further thought from because I've got to uh, wind up our conversation. But uh, to connect you with Alice, Alex Cook, Alex Cook is uh, founder of Wealth With Purpose. And there are lots of free resources that you can access on Alex's website, wealthwithpurpose.com. Uh, free ebooks. There's a my toolkit. Uh, free videos. There's podcast content. And uh, I, as you've heard, if you've talked, uh, if you've listened into Alex talking through these things uh, with us for many years now, uh, he loves to discuss those ways that you can address debt. And if we're talking wealth, how you can best use your wealth and uh, to advocate for those things that are for those who are perhaps disadvantaged or the poor of our community. And and Alex. If I was just getting one little last comment here, uh, for those who are at the wealthier end of the spectrum, there's a big responsibility rests on the shoulders of those who've got spare cash. Uh, and those at the is. other end, uh, there's also responsibility not to be lazy or not a good steward with what you do have. Uh, have you got a, a final comment here on, on, on both ends of the spectrum? These things are important, aren't they? Yeah, look, absolutely. Look for the for the for the top end that you're talking about. You know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is expected. So there is a big responsibility, uh, and of course, one day we'll be held accountable. But I think more broadly, for everyone, irrespective of whether you have a little or a lot, we are called to be good stewards with what God puts in our hands. You know, I encourage listeners to go and read the parable of the talents. Uh, you know, and that that really lays out. You know, each of these workers that that were left by the master all had different amounts and they all had to put it to work and achieve uh, good things so what the answer the question is what has God put in your hands and what are you going to do with it to accomplish good things and to extend his kingdom wealthwithpurpose.com to connect directly with Alex Cook you can follow him on Facebook and on Twitter there's even an ask Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com email you can email Alex a question Alex Thanks so much for sharing your insights once again with listeners today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Good to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.